are back for another episode of the Par Train. First episode of our new series, PJ Player Deep Dives. And this one focused on our boy, Phil Fig Jam Mickelson. What's up, boys? We got Serm and Strat on the line. What's going on? Yeah, boy. Diving deep. We're diving deep. And what is Player Deep Dives? I mean, we're just going to spend this entire episode telling you things that you didn't know about one of your favorite players. You know, we all know the thumbs up, the hat tip, the smile, the fist bump. He threw a Ryder Cup captain under the bus, but guess what? It got us to where we are today. The backwards flop shots and great hair. Strat, what do you think about his hair? It's a, it's an interesting pattern of baldness. I've never actually seen um, just a a racing stripe of thinning hair right down the middle. Uh, but, you know, Phil's an unconventional guy, and he doesn't do things by the book. So I guess I'm not too surprised. Phil's loved on the par train, but, you know, he's kind of – not everybody likes Phil. He pisses people off, I feel like. You know, is he's it too pol- many smiles? Too many thumbs he's pol- up? He's polarizing. He's very polarizing. Uh-huh. And just so people out there may not know, his official name is Philip Alfred Mickelson. Alfie! <laughs> So, you know, there's that. Well, and now he's back on top. Not. He's back on top, had one of the best starts of his career this year. Going to be one of the favorites in the Masters. But let me give uh, – let's let's go through a quick summary of, of this episode. So we're going to start with a few funny segments. This one's called Drive-By with Phil, where Phil actually joins us. We could only get him for about five minutes. So we each got to ask rapid-fire questions, and Phil will jump in. We've got a great new sponsorship from Fig Jam. Uh, what would Phil do? These are everyday situations. The average man, what he would do versus what Fig Jam would do. Our favorite Phil moments, whether you should bet him at the Masters, highlights from his amateur career, stats you've never heard before, how he played with Tiger when he was at his best, and we'll end with a never-before-heard story from the director of R&D at Callaway about his decade-plus fitting Phil with his clubs. So without further ado, should we start out with Drive-By with Phil? Yeah, I mean, we got him on the line. He's waiting, like you said. We don't have a whole lot of time, so yep. I'm just going to jump right in. Jump Phil, in. happy happy to have you. Uh, very excited. Big fans. Um, I got to say, you know, I'm going to ask the question because everybody wants to know, what was the deal with your shorts situation at the PGA? I, I still am in shock that I did that. I just I just can't believe that, that I did that. I'm, I am uh, such an idiot. Okay, I mean, I'm, you know, I understand that. You know, we all have, we've sure. got moments where maybe we just do something that doesn't make sense. I, I don't want you to beat yourself up about it, but I appreciate the, the, uh, the admission there. Talk about humility. Um, I mean, you know, you gotta, you gotta be able to say that about yourself. <laughs> yeah. You know, Phil, I know you're a former Arizona State guy. Uh, I went to Boulder, both big, big party schools. I gotta imagine you probably still get into the sauce from time to time, especially maybe after a big bet. Um, you got any tips, you know, when you wake up in the middle of the night and you got to take that 2 a.m. beer piss and you just you pray to God in the dark that you don't miss the bowl. Uh, the, the key for me is uh, missing it in the right spot. Oh, yeah. Oh. That's, I mean, that's that makes sense. That's plus why, perspective right there. Why, why haven't I thought of that already? <laughs> you know. All right. I'm going to I'm going to give my last one before I kick it over to, to Ev here. I know, Phil, that you suffer from the psoriatic arthritis. We all know that your health is very important to you. Given your uh, active position in the medical field, I'd like to ask you about an article I read recently in the, I believe it was the March issue of my Delta in-flight magazine. I'm going to paraphrase. It, it basically said that males' testicles haven't changed much since the dawn of man and that perhaps 
there may be a time when we as homo sapiens just don't have them anymore. Would you care to discuss? Since 2000, we have had uh, balls that have been evolutionary. They've kind of slowly evolved. Oh, okay. That sounds like good news. That sounds like good news. That's great news. Yeah, thank God. Phil, um, (laughs) I wanted to ask you, everyone remembers the 2002 U.S. Open when you finished runner-up to Tiger Woods. Is there anything you wish you said to Tiger on the tee box before the round? I know you like the gamesmanship. Just curious if you think something you could have said would have changed the result to get you your first U.S. Open. Is this whose ass we're going to kick today? Oh, wow. Wow, okay. (laughs) I wasn't expecting that, but that's kind of what I wanted. So, Okay, my last question is, speaking of, uh, I know Strat mentioned ASU, why would you go to the best community college in Arizona? Do you regret it? I, I still am in shock that I did that. I just, I just can't believe that, that I did that. I'm, I am uh, such an idiot. Oh, okay, there, mm. there it is. Humility again. <laughs> wow. I mean, wow. Okay. okay. All right. I, I didn't see like that coming. This is taking a turn on the on the train today, but let me let's. I'm dying to ask you. We got a real slow play issue on the tour right now. Those guys who play slow, they don't seem to listen to anyone. What do you think? I like players that play quick and listen. Oh, okay. <laughs> I love loves fast loves fast play. Okay. Um, all right. Um, <laughs> Another uh, last question here, Phil, before we let you go. Um, Ev Strat and I, we're actually going to Augusta this year, and we're going to be Snapchatting players' swings um, pretty much the whole tournament. So the part train viewers and listeners can, uh, can see everybody's swings, including yours. Um, what do you think? Come on, guys. Come on. Oh. Okay. Whoa. Uh, Phil, I'm, I'm, I'm so sorry. We will not. We won't do it. Uh, thanks for coming on at short notice. I would just like to say that since I was a kid and first picked up my golf club, I've been living my dream, and I want to thank you for this great honor tonight. Hey, thanks, yeah, I Phil. appreciate that, Phil. We know you got a, a big game to get to, so we'll, uh, we'll see you when we see you. Uh, before we move on, uh, the good people at Ferguson's Fig Jam have, uh, have a few words for our listeners. Life moves pretty fast these days. In between the snap face filters and the Instabook geotagging and the Tamagotchi upkeep, it's easy to forget there's a big old world out there. But the good people at Ferguson's Fig Jam haven't forgotten that. Every jar of Ferguson's famous fig jam starts with a perfectly ripened figs that fall naturally to the earth before being lovingly scooped up by the careful hands of Ferguson's artisans. What ensues thereafter is a violent fever dream of maceration, emotional assault, and flavor waterboarding that gives each bite of Ferguson's fig jam its unique bouquet. In addition to being a delicious addition to any cheese or charcuterie board, Ferguson's famous fig jam also serves as a last-minute collateral that you may need in a wagering environment. That's because each jar of Ferguson's famous fig jam is actually made of pure Swarovski crystal and contains a rare and one-of-a-kind gold Spanish doubloon in the lid. Independently valued $20,000, if you find yourself cash poor in a late-night pie-gow game in downtown Chinatown, but you're feeling like your luck's about to change— Go ahead and grab that bot jar of Ferguson's and put it all on black. And for our listeners, when you use promo code, why are there so many seeds in this? Again, that's promo code, why are there so many seeds in this? You get 10% off your first order of 10 or more jars. So leave the grape jelly in the fucking trash where it belongs and start living the good life with Ferguson's famous fig jam. Now, just to clarify for the listeners, that's all one word, right? Why are there so many seeds in this for the promo code? 
One like word. any promo code. Yeah, sure. one word. Okay. Why are there so many seats in this? And, and real quick, Strat, it, it is independently valued at 20000 you said, correct? U.S. Correct. dollars? In, yeah, correct. Yeah. They, you know, international, they, we're still not sure. Well, it depends on the exchange rate at the moment. Sure. sure. Yeah. You mentioned okay. That, yeah. Well, I got to say. That's no, great. It's, it's great. You know that the people over at Ferguson's Famous Fig Jam are doing something right when they sponsor the Fig Jam Player Deep Dive episode. So real contextual marketing there. Good, good yeah, work. It made sense. It. it made sense. Cool. Yeah, great. Well, okay. so well written, too. That's fun. It yeah. really was. Yeah. And you are you did really well at reading it, Strat. It could be a, a new thing for you. Okay. Appreciate that. Going into our next segment. This is hashtag what would Phil do? So, again, everyday situation. We're going to review what the average Joe would do versus the Fig Jam himself. So, you know what? Why don't I kick it off? Okay? First situation, flight delay. They come over the, the horn. They say, sorry, the plane's experiencing some mechanical issues. Most people in the, ter- in the terminal, the average Joe, they complain. They wait. They maybe go get a snack, a pizza, a Cinnabon. You never know. Fig Jam, on the other hand, guys got places to be. So what Fig Jam does in a flight delay because of mechanical issues, he gives the smile. He knows he can help out. Walks towards the gate. Flight attendant says, sir, you can't come up here until we're ready to take off. You can't. You can't approach the plane. Phil smiles, gives the flight attendant a little hat tip, gives him a thumbs up, and walks right past him, knowing that his technical knowledge of science and basic aerodynamics can help get this plane off the ground. So he walks up, talks to the talks to the pilot. The people don't even chase him. The thumbs up almost mesmerizes the flight attendant. He starts talking about altitude error, scale factor. That's KZSF. Air mass flight path angle. Air data's dead reckoning. That's ADDR. Circular... Error probability, that's CEP. Desired speed, DESS. And desired path, and suddenly the flight is ready to go. Everybody's happy, walks off, gets a big cheer from the gallery. Wow. Wow, he knows all that? I mean, it's Fig Jam. Okay. What would Phil do? He's very technical with his golf swing, so I guess it makes sense. (laughs) It's true. I mean, why would he not be? Okay. Well, I'm going to jump in. Go ahead, Scott. Yeah. yeah, The situation, it's a flat tire. What does the normal person do? Well, for me, personally, I tell my nine-month pregnant wife to hop out and get that shit changed up so that we can make it to the Applebee's before the bottomless apps and beers ends at 5 p.m. (laughs) Yep. 5 p.m. is the cutoff. Yep. It's the cutoff. It's a sharp cutoff. Real popular in St. Louis. For good reason. Friendly neighborhood girl. Among other things. Uh, Hashtag, what, what would Phil do? Well, first of all, he doesn't stop the car. He, uh, he spots a patch of Kakuya in the median of the highway, and he starts the vehicle on a 45-degree opposite lock slide. Upon uh, making contact with the grass, he puts the vehicle in neutral, gets the revs up to about 6,000 RPMs, and the heat from the spinning drive shaft actually increases the pressure in the entire undercarriage. Coupled with, the, sponge, coupled, coupled with the sponginess of the Kakuya, it allows the rubber of the tire to actually expand enough to where the hole will self-seal and the tire reinflates itself. Once the car is safely back on the highway and the tire is back in operating order, he gives a sheepish hat tip to the bewildered onlookers on the side of the road, and he makes himself on his way to his final destination. He's that good. The, fans love, the fans love that kind of stuff, too. You know, you know that they, they love it. It can't get enough. I don't really want to tell Phil what he should do or what he would do or what he didn't do, so we're just going to keep this thing rolling. And, guys, let's talk about the greatest moments. Let's get back to golf a little bit here. Oh, you know, Sir wants to talk great... about what Phil did do. Yeah, he's you know, going to talk about what he did do. Okay. I want to talk about the, the the past with Phil. I mean, he's got a he's got a storied past and a great 
present, obviously, as well. But a couple quick favorite film moments. There's so many of them, but if we had to narrow it down, guys, for me, the British Open win 2013. I mean, it was his last win until last week. Nobody thought he could win that major. I love the Open. I thought that was so cool watching Phil win. Kind of sentimental. I mean, I wouldn't say he's my favorite player, but he proved all the haters wrong. Loved it. But now the other moment that I really kind oh, of laughed at with Phil. Oh, yeah. <laughs> doing two. two. Thought it was one. Keep going. Guys, I'm take, guys I, I have to bring this up. Okay. 2008, Torrey Pines, U.S. Open. We know what Tiger did that week. Do you know what Phil did that week? The guy didn't carry a driver. Okay. And he hey. didn't even he didn't even sniff contention. It's kind of just a typical <laughs> Phil, like wild, sometimes overthinks things, was trying to make the case. Couple three woods in the bag, no driver. Doesn't even come close to winning. I mean, how stupid was that? Oh. Um, just just Phil. Just funny. And you know, it. he's had two drivers in the bag as well. Yeah, he's done the two drivers, he's done the sixty-four degree wedge. I mean, not you know, he, he's he's known to have some bonehead moments. Not because of bones, but really just, you know, mm, good he's one. overthinking it. Okay, thank hey, thanks, sir. I appreciate the bonus one. Uh my favorite moment is I didn't actually pick a moment of his performance on the course. To me, I most enjoy the fig jam at every post round interview, especially the Ryder Cup after throwing Mr. Tom Watson under the bus. It was real controversial at the moment. Kuchar next to him looked real uncomfortable, as did everyone else sitting up there. But that might have been my favorite moment because you know I love the Ryder Cup. And Phil, Phil's the only guy that would ever do that and just basically Absolutely. call out the guy sitting four seats down in front of global media. And look where we are now. We got the pod system. We got the task force. And now we could take down the European team on European soil this year, which I'm real excited about. So I'm going to go with the post-round interview, specifically the Ryder Cup one. Ev, I think we just love that, that Phil has no filter. Yeah, Never has. Yeah. Honest interview, unlike many other guys out there. Yep. He kind of he kind of lulls you into a false sense of security with his interviews as well because he's very charming and he says all the right things and then he just hits you in the dick with some real fucking raw shit and you never Whoa, saw it coming. Snake in the grass. Whoa. Yeah. Were... And uh, you know you got to be careful. But we, well, we but we kind of love it, you know. <laughs> I, I I big time love it. Um, my my favorite moment is actually I remember my dad was obsessed with golf when I was a kid. I was a big hockey guy. I couldn't give two shits about it when I was younger. But I remember watching one weekend with him, and Phil was doing a tutorial on his infamous backwards flop shot. And I remember a I was freaked out because the left hand swing just looks weird, and b I couldn't believe that that was actually a fucking thing. And it it bridged the gap for me between golf being something that my dad watched on the weekends and it wouldn't allow me to watch the cartoons that I wanted to watch uh, and showed me that these guys are actually incredible at what they do and that Phil just had a completely different approach to the game. And I will say that I've probably tried to hit that shot yeah. maybe a hundred times and it never How'd you do? Never works. Yeah. I blade the can fuck you, out of it. Can you hit a normal <laughs> flop shot? I can. I'm, got, I'm getting pretty you good at it. Gotta forget the backwards. Can you even do a normal one? <laughs> yeah. I've got my flop game has gotten a lot better these days. Actually, okay? I hear but, you're chipping. You're chipping in. I hear. Well, that, I that's a perfect segue. I think Strat <laughs> needs to spread some knowledge to everyone out there because let me let me tell you something. Yesterday morning in Los Angeles, you know, we got out before the day job, and yeah, thanks uh, for the invite. Strat tells me <laughs> you're in Chicago. Strat tells me. That he watched a three-minute video from Fig Jam about this three simple tips on good chipping. The guy sends it to me. 
after the round. Didn't want to jinx it. During the round, the guy chipped in, was it four times? I believe it was five. Five times, including <laughs> a 50 you know, yards like out a, for Eagle, like, a pick shot. <laughs> the guy was six under through like 10 holes. Strat. It was uh, it was a revelation, you know. It was <laughs> Phil's a master. Just know how many times he chipped in. It was so many. <laughs> it it was out of control. I couldn't have been more confident. Okay, the only thing I wish I would have had a sixty four because I felt like that extra four degrees would have would have you know helped to chip in two more. But I it was. I mean, congratulated it, him. It was so absurd how many times he was chipping in. I just threw my bag down and walked to the next tee. It was unbelievable. <laughs> Thanks to Phil, Strat doesn't even want to hit greens anymore because he knows he's got that much confidence. So, no, Strat, I think do you I th- want to talk through those tips? I feel like well, you have I to. mean, it was a very, it was very basic. Which every good tip is is a simple tip. Uh, it's uh, you either play the ball off your front or your back foot, never in the middle. You want to keep those hands in front of the ball, regardless of your, if you're playing it off the back or the front, and uh, you want to keep all that weight on your lead foot. That's it. That's yeah, it. I, it it feels weird. It feels the most bizarre when you're playing it off your front foot and your hands are above your legs and all your weights on your front foot. But I mean, that's a shit. compromising position, you know, hands above the legs. Um, yeah, I don't know. I I don't think I. I that's the thing with Phil. Like that, everything always on your front foot. I, I I can't chip. I don't think most people can chip like that. That's it's really interesting. But then it works for you in a way we've never even seen. Wow. Well, it was it was devastatingly effective. So give it a shot. You know, I'll uh, maybe we'll maybe we'll throw the video link in the show notes mm. for everybody. Sure. Speaking of segues, I'm betting on Strat in the next round against you. I think the odds are pretty good. I'm not wrong there. Do you want to talk Masters odds? Is that what you're doing? Well, segue. I think uh, you. I I think you want to talk about it a little more than I do. Go into it. Okay. So prior to waste management this year, Phil was at forty to one to win the Masters. It's not a surprise. He had four top sixes going into his win at WGC Mexico, and obviously he just yep. won. So now he's at 18-1. to 1. I think the story, though, is, number one, do you take that bet? And number two, to me, that's still crazy high. Mm. Phil Mickelson, yeah, who's think- won three Masters and playing as well as anyone right now, to be 18-1, to 1, you can take my money for that all day. Yeah, I think it's a great, I think it's a great bet. I think... It's a little high because of just his age, right? And Strad, how many chippings is he going to have? Ooh, I'd say uh, over under at six, and I'm going to take the over. Still's an absolute favorite to win the Masters. Absolutely. You know, because we're deep diving here. A lot of people don't hear about his amateur career. I didn't realize oh, it until I dug deep and did some research because, you know, we got stats guys here. Stats department. Is he the it's- most dominant amateur in history? Um, I probably know because Bobby Jones, you know, sure. stayed an amateur for his whole career. But if you look at it, there's some great, there's some great context here. He could have been, or it might have been the most impressive run in a short time because he turned pro so quick. But so Phil, a couple of things for listeners to know. Phil was a U.S. amateur champ, three-time NCAA individual champ at Arizona State. That's that's mind-boggling. I think he that's the most. Um, he won 16 times in college. I think we saw, Ev, that Tiger only won 11 times in college. Now, granted, Tiger played two years, um, not three, um, but still 16 wins is crazy. He was a, But this is the thing people really got to know. Phil's first win on the PJ Tour, he was an amateur. I mean, that is just, isn't that fun right there? And it was and his first little, event. It was right, his first PJ come, Tour event. That's incredible. Comes, Comes out of the gate swinging. He was, he was low amateur at the Masters. But here's the thing about Phil, too, guys. In the 90s, the guy had a look uh, very different than he had today. Pop collar, no hat. And the guy, 
The guy had some swagger. And before Tiger came along, I think everybody thought he was the best player of the upcoming generation. Turned out he was number two. But here's the thing, though. He didn't get a major until 2004, right? Took him a while to get one. And once he got it, he won five majors in six years. Floodgates. Really got, this yeah, is yeah, a classic got floodgates it. moment. Four major, was it four, how many majors does Phil has five right now? He has five, right? yeah. Yeah, so um, incredible amateur like Tiger, but maybe even more impressive in his uh, his little short run. You know, and then, you know, Strad, he became, he became a pro. He started making some money, and he started having some fun with that money, you know? Well, I don't think it's any surprise to any fan of golf that uh, Phil's a big gambler. Um, you know, I don't know what his career earnings are. Maybe Evan can shed some light on that, but I'd venture to say he's probably gambled away double that. Over 80 million. And, okay, yeah, I, there's definitely <laughs> about 160 million in gambling debt somewhere. <laughs> Thanks, around. stats team. Yeah, thanks, stack guys. Uh-huh. But um, he's a big gambler. Uh, you know, all these golfers are. They're competitive as fuck. And I, I think one of my favorite gambling stories comes on the set of one of my favorite golf movies, which is Tin Cup. He, uh, this is according to Cheech Marin, um, you know, Roy McAvoy's caddy in the film. Apparently, they're, they're dicking around on set, you know, waiting for a, a, a shot to get set up. And uh, there was a, a, a very tall pine tree. And someone says to Fig Jam, hey, bet you can't put your shoulder against the tree, drop a ball and hit it over the tree. So, of course, Phil, you know, starts salivating. He loves this, lives for it. Uh, shot essentially just had to go straight up. So it's Floptown Central. Everybody in the, on the set and the crew starts throwing in 100 bucks. Pot got up to about 1200 Fig Jam assumes the position, gets into his, uh, into his stance, hits the shot, thing pops straight fucking up. Before it even has a chance to hit the ground, he bends over, picks up the money, and walks away. <laughs> I mean, if that's a fabulous fig jam, I don't know what is. I don't, I don't know if it gets much more uh, classic Ke- than that. Kevin Costner, Rene Russo, they're all just, I mean, what? Can oh. you imagine being on that set? <laughs> I mean, what, what about Phil Sims? Oh, the other <laughs> Phil. Yeah. I mean, yeah, the original Phil. Huh? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, it's a good story. We're having fun. The kids love it. Oh, it's great. Oh, that's classic. Yeah. Okay. Well, speaking of the stat boys, they keep poking at my arm to get into the, the stuff that love they that. Love those guys. So, um, because we promised that we dive deep here for Fig Jam, let's get into some stats, okay? Some things that people probably don't know. Number one. I'm going to call this cuts in cash. Phil has played in 578 PJ Tour events in his career, which is crazy to think about. He's made 483 cuts. That's an 84% cut percentage. And he's made 87 million in his career from PJ Tour events. Okay? Just, now to give you context, let's let's learn about Tiger, okay? Cuz he's obviously the best. Tigers played in 331 events and made 302 cuts, which is a 91% cut percentage, and he's made $110 million. Now, the question is, the whole point of why I wanted to say this is because I think we all know that Tiger's the best, but do you think that an 84 cut percentage across 578 events is more impressive than a 91 cut percentage at 331 events? That's a good question. I mean, um, I, I don't think so. Numbers never lie. Oh, so. 
Oh, he's a numbers guy, apparently. Well, as, I, as the resident numbers guy, let me just go ahead and take this. 84% is less than 91%, so Tiger wins. Tiger's never played long schedules throughout his career. Phil's definitely played more events throughout, you know, per year. They're both amazing, but Tiger's just, Tiger missed 10 cuts because of health reasons. So it's like, he should be a little higher than that. So let me, let me ask this question. It seems like, okay, I, I see these numbers a lot. We're seeing them more because Tiger's back and playing well. Absolutely. When they compare, when they compare him to, let's say a George Spieth or a Rory, whose careers have been dramatically shorter and are obviously still very early in their, their, their careers of dominance. You're seeing that these guys already have almost as many missed cuts as these guys have had for their entire careers. It seems to me like <laughs> these guys, it, it was it a different vibe or was it a different mentality or is the new kind of young style of golf going for broke long drives? Is that changing the way guys are approaching the game? Because you've got granted Phil and Tiger, are two of the best that have ever played, but I would say that Rory Jordan, DJ and, um, I'll leave the great pretender out of this. Those those guys are in the same league. <laughs> Even though he's amazing, but he's a pretender. Well, Strat, that's, your, um, that's your opinion. But, I mean, it just <laughs> seems different, right? Well, it's, it's yes different. and no. Yes and no. So, go for broke mentality, I can't get on board with. Not saying that's your whole point here, but Phil, it was Arnold Palmer of, you know, of the 90s and 2000s. I mean, went for everything. Go for broke mentality, still makes 84% of the cuts. Um, I just think three they're just just so mentally strong. That's why they're the two best. You know, I just think yeah. they're I, playing for so much money today, even though they were playing for a lot of money back then. I just I just don't think they were they have to grind as hard today. I mean, I, I, I don't know. I don't know. That's that's what that's I was a, gonna say. I think it's because of the point. money. I think these guys point. cash it in. If they're not feeling it one week, they're like, okay, I can go home early and I'll get it next week. It's not as big of a deal. You heard Chappell talk about it in our interview where he was like, because of the money, you don't need to be grinding on tour past your 40s, right? And I think that also applies week to week. Right. Like, I don't think the I think, grind is there because, yeah. quite frankly, they're getting soft. And I think Phil Phil and Tiger, they're just – the reason why they're the two greatest of our generation is because how, 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 how tightly they're wound and they're just competitive killers. I think it's kind of give and take with the players of today. They, you know, Phil wants to. Phil said he's going to get 50 wins by the time he turns 50. I mean, it, you, we heard Chapel say it. He doesn't even want to be playing in his 40s. Yeah. You know, and I don't think you know. You look at even guys like Rory and like they just they have real other interests that I think have taken over their lives and they lose their attention when they're not playing so well on Friday. Millennials, um, am I? I, right? I, I, I couldn't. Agree, I couldn't agree with you more. I think with Tiger, with Phil, these are guys that. They don't want to win. They want to beat everybody else. And I think you got guys today like Jordan, Rory, Ricky, who they're more interested in having fun, which is fine. But we're missing that that person well, that's just a fucking psycho well, and wants I to kick wa- shit out of him. I would watch that with Spieth, though. I mean, the guy's got three majors already. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Spieth I just don't think he has the quite the talent as the other guys do. Spieth might be the exception. I, you thought Rory was, but I don't know. And DJ... Guys, guys are freak, but I mean, come on, guys off in space. <laughs> Everything we just listed about Phil, he's never been ranked number one in the world, obviously because he was playing during Tiger's peak. But, but his second places in his career, he has 39 second places, including the six U.S. Opens that everybody knows. But so I got a little note here. The producer just passed me the note. Love a producer note. Love this those. means that if Tiger didn't exist and Phil won all of his tournaments where he finished second, He'd have 82 total wins 
more than Tiger 79. And guess what? Guess what 82 wins is? Tied with Sam Snead. He only needed to win 39 times to get close to Sam Snead's record. That's it. Yeah. So what you're saying is he finished second every time to (laughs) second every time to Tiger, as it turns out. He's 39 Uh wins back from the record. That's what I'm saying. But here's the other thing. Go ahead, Dev. I was going to say he has four runner-ups to Tiger when Tiger won, including one U.S. Open. So if Tiger didn't exist, he'd also have the Grand Slam. Just saying. I think the number one player in the world, so he's never reached, that's interesting, because 2004, Phil goes and wins his first major, the Masters, the famous jump up in the air. But Vijay Singh, right, that was a Tiger down year. Tiger was changing his swing with Haney. Vijay won nine times that year. Yeah, the Fijian Nightmare wins nine times that year. And he gets a PGA Championship. He was the best player in the world. And you got to throw in Ernie Els, too, right? I mean, Ernie won, Ernie's won four majors, won a couple majors then, and he had Vijay. Why couldn't they kind of gotten Phil's way a little bit too? Um, and I think that's interesting. Is, is he going to get that? Crazy. Is he going to get that U.S. Open? It's crazy to think about a guy that has forty-three wins and was never number one in the world. Yeah, yeah, that's insane. <laughs> okay, that so speaking insane. of Tiger and Phil, we dug deeper, and we wanted to know how Phil plays when Tiger's playing in the same tournament versus not playing in the tournament, and we found some interesting stuff. So when Tiger gets a top ten or better in a tournament and Phil's playing in that same tournament, he finishes on average three spots higher on the leaderboard. Okay. So Phil thrives off of tiger being in contention on the flip side. Phil has 30 of his 43 wins in tournaments that tiger doesn't play. So it's kind of interesting. He tends to (laughs) turn it up when tiger starts to be towards the top of the leaderboard, but he tends to get it done when tiger's not there. Interesting. Hmm. Hmm. I'd love to. Yeah. Uh, I'd love to get the psychological breakdown on that. In the early two thousands, whether you know, I guess early to mid two thousands, both in their prime, they really weren't, you know, all that friendly with each other. I wouldn't say they were hateful, like the media tried to make it out to be, you know. But like, it was a rivalry, and like those two never paled around. And now it's like a love fest with Tiger and Phil later in their old veteran careers. Strat, we've talked about this. Tiger, the intimidation factor, it was yeah. real, and Phil admits to it. Phil, like, I mean, like, like Tiger was just always one up in me. So why don't we give the 43 wins some context? Okay. Love it. Because a lot of people don't know what that means. So Sam Snead, the leader, obviously, with 82. Tiger's got 79. Jack is 73, and Arnie is 62. Then there's Phil at 43. So obviously the all-time greats. But I'm curious, like, okay, what are some other guys that were surprising to me? And to give that context. So... Phil is past Tom Watson. Tom Watson's at 39. Trevino's at 29. Our boy Johnny Miller is at 25. The name that I was absolutely shocked about was Davis Love III at 21 PGA Tour wins. Well, I mean, that's the guy's had a, such a consistent career, and he's won recently. He won at 50. He won the PGA in, what, 97? So it's just like one win every year. It's yeah, unbelievable. impressive. Wow. Also, DJ has 17 in 11 it, seasons. It Guy's wow. on fire. He doesn't even know it. Literally. <laughs> I got two more. Cares. Two more. More surprising than Davis Love the Third at 21. Zach Johnson at 12. ZJ. Two, two majors. When, when did Zach Johnson win 12 times? Good God. Guy's a grinder. Unbelievable. I mean, and then finally, now Sir makes a good point. We were talking off air about Faldo didn't p- play too much on PJ Tour. I know he's got a lot of international wins, but it's crazy to me that he only has nine PJ Tour wins. Six of them are majors, but a bit surprising. Yeah, I think you know this is this is some good this is some good fun right here. I, Phil's <laughs> gonna get another major, and because 
He's got more wins than Trevino, but Trevino's got six majors. Like I said, Feldo's got six majors. Arnie's got seven majors. Hmm. Watson's got eight majors. Can he, if he can get into this six to eight category and then get to 50 wins, it'll be interesting how he kind of falls with his legacy. Here's, here's something I think that's important to consider as well regarding Phil's legacy. This is something that my dad always said that didn't really ring true until I started to really aggressively watch golf consistently. You look at guys today, you look at Spieth's run in, what was it, 2015? You look at Rory, you know, when he was number one in the world. You look at DJ last year before he, quote-unquote, slipped before the Masters. Um, these guys are they They have streaks of brilliance, right? Where they, they're untouchable. Everything's falling. They, it, they, it almost feels like they, they win at will, but the key word there is that it's streaky. One thing my dad's always said is what makes tiger and Phil so impressive is the consistency of their play over decades has been something that so few can replicate. And I think maybe Sure. Maybe that is Phil's like actual incredible legacy. I mean, the guy was stroke for stroke with Henrik Stenson at the British a couple years ago, and I mean, you everyone would have guessed that he would have won that major, but literally the guy that beat him just played the round of a fucking lifetime. But Phil's been doing this year in, year out, and it doesn't look like he's slowing down at all. And like, yeah. I don't think that well, gets discussed yeah. enough, unfortunately. No, absolutely. Look at Phil's play now. It's probably as good as it's it's been. Obviously, he kind of had a little lull these last couple of years. Jack Nicholas at 46 won the Masters, but his career was fa- like fading. Now, I'm not comparing Phil to Jack of all time, but if right. we're looking at the longevity, like playing his 40s, who says Phil can't win at 54 or 55? Oh, you know what I mean? I like that. Oh. And Sam Snead did that. Sam Snead won in his 60s, I believe, at the, at the Greensboro. I mean, I think we're seeing something there. You know, it's it, that's truly incredible, and I well, don't think... I don't think we're going to see it from other players. Well, speaking yeah. of him playing better than ever, think about this. His first PGA Tour win came on in January 10th, 91, over two, year, two years before the great pretender Justin Thomas was born. He was born <laughs> in 93. So yeah. to go from that to now, this is the first time in his career he finished top six in four straight events. And he's also, he has five top ten finishes in eight events this season, as many as he's had in 22 events last season, plus wow. a win. So wow. the guy's playing better than ever. I mean, he says it, and he's not lying. Nope. And he's and he's smiling along the way and signing autographs. He's just he's just so good for the fans. Very Arnold Palmer like. Very That's Arnold a, Palmer like. It's he's an exciting guy to watch. Absolutely. I mean, whether we like you like him or don't like him as a person, the guy he draws you in, and you somehow exactly. root for you just root for him. Exactly. All right, guys. So we're gonna give all the listeners out there a thumbs up right now. It's good radio. Thumbs up. <laughs> Little hat and, tip, sheepish grin. And that's all from, from us. We're going to end with a little story from the director of R&D at Callaway. He's worked with Phil for decades. So oh, this was sure. a good one. And uh, we'll be back soon. we got some good stuff coming. Deep dive. So for those of you that stuck around to the end, we got a little treat for you. So Evan Gibbs, the director of R&D of Woods at Callaway Golf, gave us a few exclusive stories about his experience. He's been fitting Phil for clubs for decades. So stay tuned for this. A few good stories to, to end the episode with. The R&D team at Callaway has had a great relationship with Phil over the years. And I think both of us really look at it like a partnership. He's looking for any edge he can get. And we are here to, to try and provide him with the best equipment we can to help him do so. I think one of the many things that stand out about Phil 
is his unrelenting passion to get better and his willingness to take risks and maybe a little unconventional approach in order to do so. Uh, so for us coming from the equipment side, it makes things a lot of fun. I think when thinking back on Phil over the years, there are a couple stories that really jump out. Uh, the first is from many years ago, we were testing drivers at our performance center in Carlsbad. It was early in the morning and only a few of us were there, but there was a pretty significant downwind at the range that morning. And after hitting a few shots, he said, is there any way I can hit this with a crosswind? Well, after explaining uh, that we had no control over the wind direction or the orientation of the test center, uh, he looked beyond the fence on the one side and asked, what's over there? Well, there was a pretty busy road filled with people driving to work and then nothing beyond. Uh, after taking his laser rangefinder out and focusing it on a, an electric tower across the road, he figured he could make it across pretty safely. But, you know, the rest of us weren't so sure. Anyway, he then proceeded to hit about five balls over the fence, across the road, and into the hill, and then casually turned to us and said, I think this driver is going to work. Uh, second story is from the Ryder Cup uh, many years ago. Uh, at the time, our president was French, and so him and Phil had a friendly little wager on the outcome of the Ryder Cup that year. Uh, unfortunately for Phil, the U.S. lost, and so Phil had to serve R&D In-N-Out Burgers uh, at our test center. So Phil literally drove through the drive through at In-N-Out, ordered about 100 double-doubles and fries, uh, put on an In-N-Out hat, and served us all lunch uh, at our driving range. So he was a, a great sport about it, and we all had a good laugh. Uh, and lastly, um, you know, just after Phil won the Open Championship, uh, which as we all know is a pretty monumental win in his career, uh, that next week he stopped by Callaway to thank everyone in person uh, for giving him the tools to help him win. Uh, he then made a stop by R&D on the way out with a case of champagne and let us all drink out of the claret jug. Uh, this was, you know, just so symbolic of the character of Phil, uh, as well as the relationship uh, with R&D that we've established over the years.